The following podcast contains topics of which are a sensitive nature. This includes sexual assault, self-harm and suicidal thoughts. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome back to Sam Antics. Hey Sam, I'm Matt. He struggles with his mental health, and so do I. And that's just the way it is. Indeed it is, indeed it is. And welcome back to part two of our mental health specials. Indeed. As if one episode wasn't difficult enough, here's the second. Yeah, two hosts, two stories, two specials. It's a good thing we're not a podcast of like 100 people, isn't it? I mean, it's, it would be, it's really good that we're not doing this on a global scale, because I feel like... <laughs> It would, that would up. be difficult, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> um, indeed. And uh, there was only one thing I we forgot to mention in the um, intro to part one, and we're just going to say it now. Obviously, when it comes to these stories, they are, as we mentioned, deeply personal to us. But for me personally, if anyone does want to reach out and wants to talk about anything that they've experienced similar to me, or if they want to want my helpful guidance in understanding and coping with these things you can message me and i think same, that, same with me as well yeah i was gonna say i think that matt would feel the same way exactly 100%, 100%. and without further ado here is the delightful sacropa with his story on his mental health struggles thank you Mara. yes um for me, mental health is like when you're a kid and think you've got a monster under your bed. Only you can go and get someone to look and only you can get someone to ultimately help you. For me, in my experience, I've not had the luxury of people coming to help, even if I ask for it. Um, so I suppose my story would start in all the way back in 2002. 2002. 2002. So I was seven years old. You know, in school, Matt, when like they will hold like tryouts and things for like football, the football team or the rugby team, whatever. Yes, yes. Well, in my lower school, um, the only years three and four could play football. Years two, two and one, and obviously lower, they're obviously too young to really, you know, mm-hmm. be able to actually play the game of football. But in year two, I was invited to sort of train with the team, so I did. Um, I don't know how, I can't really remember if I'm honest, if I was selected or if my dad had put a good word or if I went to tryouts. But there were so little players in years three and four that they needed years two to sort of boost numbers. And remember, it was like me and one other person. But anyway, people used to sort of pick on me for, you know, on the other teams, used to pick on me. But mainly it was um, my classmates would occasionally pick on me for um you know being selected and being in that team yeah um and then the other person that was in the who got selected with me ultimately for made my life hell for three years that sort of lower school because yeah. i was selected with him his dad was to like the, the the um the coach yeah and it was just he just didn't like the fact that you know i was actually a good footballer as well um and and yeah so that was the first sort of experience I had with 
bullying in particular, but also um, me reaching out to people and asking for help and it not being given. Um, yeah. So I would reach out to like the coach, I'd reach out to the teachers, I'd reach out to my dad who eventually, you know, addressed it with the the coach and then it changed sort of only for football. It got worse in school because his dad wasn't there to obviously talk to him. Yeah. Then moving on through years sort of five onwards, you know, I hit in that lovely, lovely age where your body starts to change. Obviously I, I developed really really bad acne um but i used to get sort of like lumps appear on my face um and because of that i was very self-conscious um and through school you know you know what kids are like my daughter kids are assholes so cool yeah so i got picked on for being you know that spotty kid spotty sam or whatever and i don't think i ever actually said this to anyone but i used to sanitize um like pins and then i would pop the spots to make them go try and make them go down quicker which ultimately has led me to have like scars acne scars and things all over my face because it's obviously not what you're supposed to do with them but because it was out of not wanting to you know be picked on anymore and and, and not wanting it um, I would tell again, tell teachers, but teachers wouldn't listen. Tell my dad, my mum. But around that time, they had other things going on. Um, my dad had fallen up, like really, really sick and was in and out of hospital, so I couldn't really do anything yeah. um, in that front. So I threw myself into sport. I was playing football, rugby, yeah, just doing whatever I could to be in with a popular crowd in some sense. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then obviously you joined in year eight. eight. And, yeah, then obviously I realised that I didn't need to keep throwing myself into sport. I just needed to sort of focus on getting through that school. It'll be better in upper school. Moved on to upper school. It didn't really improve, if I'm honest. Um, and then I just started to realise that it's, it's what it is. Just buckle up and deal with it and move on. Um, do my own thing. Hang out with my friends. Do what I wanted to do as much as I could anyway. Uh, but I still had that fear of accept, like not acceptance, but like fear of what people thought of me and feeling like I was out in the spotlight kind of thing. Um, yeah, so my dad started to get better and then he, got, then he started to retrain, go back into teaching, that kind of thing. And he sort of got opened up to how the school environment is more. And he agreed that, you know, the support for me was never there. It was never given, which was a nice bit of closure on that kind of chapter of, you know, being bullied for, well, all but three years of life in school. Yeah, so it was good to have that chapter kind of closed, but it left me with a bit of social anxiety um, and not really having the skills to interact with people as much. Yeah. Then... I turned 18 and decided that I wanted to leave Leighton Buzzard and all of the shit that I'd been thrown behind me. So I moved two hours away, moved down to Southampton, uh, went to Union Southampton and ultimately stayed down here on the South Coast. So uni started in, for me, started in September 2013. Moving away was difficult 
because I wouldn't say I was like ridiculously close to my family, but when I was living with them, it was getting strained as I was getting older. Um, I think I think just like as any family in any family environment, it does. Um, yeah. But for me, I needed my own independence. I needed to be free. I needed to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And it was um, difficult for you as well, Sakura, because you had to give up some of the antics. Because... I had to retire the YouTube channel. Yeah, we did. Um, it was also it's difficult because the friendship group that I had was literally the only friends that I'd experienced, and I just only had you guys. Um, and then, obviously, everyone always says, oh, stay in touch, stay in touch, but they can drop out of touch. And obviously now more people are getting in touch with us, not just because of the podcast, but just generally... You just, as you get older, you start to, oh, remember, you know, remember Matt from school? And, yeah, then you just end up talking to people as it just happens. But, yeah, got to November and um, I'd, you know, enjoyed myself going out and stuff. And then I met a girl, thought, oh, this will be quite good. Um, relationship was not good. Lasted, like, two years. Uh, two years, sorry, two months. Yeah, so that was a difficult one, um, just because the trust in the relationship was broken. Um, she cheated on me a couple of times in that short period of time when we'd been official. You know, we, we've made it very clear to each other that we are official. But yeah, then rolled on January, and uh, it was a very difficult period of time for me, just because I'd just come out of this relationship and I was finding my feet. Um, so I was going out and I was meeting people and doing like the whole uni experience. Um, but one night um, I had a girl um, sort of in, in, our, in my flat um, drinking with us and just having a good time. Um, she was like being bartender because she didn't want to drink that night. So we'd let that happen. And then she started to pull me triples instead of like singles or doubles. And yeah, I obviously got very drunk and couldn't like function. Then she said, oh, Sam's getting too drunk. I'm just going to take him to bed and then I'm going to leave, uh, which she took me to bed. She then pretended to leave, came back into my room and locked my door. Um, and then, uh, yeah, things happened that I was not able to consent to. I couldn't move my arms for one. So, yeah. Um, and then having to see that person again and again and again on campus was difficult. What it made it even more difficult is I was made to look like the bad guy in the situation as well, which is, which is difficult because I didn't even have the awareness to stop or say no. But I was still being made out to be the bad guy. And it was just a very difficult thing because I've then had another experience where uh, the trust that trust has gone. Then moving on, sort of towards we're in sort of towards February now. Uh, Madaya, we're at the February stage of 2014. February 2014. What a month! Yeah. I again was starting to pick myself up after that, and then was going socialising more, um, experiencing uni some more, um, and concentrating on assignments and things. But I met a girl uh, on the last day of February. And she was a girl that I then ended up being in a relationship with until uh, October of last year. Um, so throughout first year of uni, I didn't have a job. 
because I didn't know how to balance uni and the job. And also, to be, honest, to be perfectly honest, I was naive and I didn't want one. However, it came with its own issues. Obviously, financially, that's quite a big burden. Then that sort of got to me. Then, second, then to go into second year, um, I knew I needed to have a little bit of money behind me. So I got a job uh, as a temp in an office uh, for a gambling company, I think. And that was in the summer months while I was back home. Uh, during that period of time, obviously, me and Matt went for many a drive, didn't we? Many a drive. We used to sing to many a song in the uh, in the car. It was, uh, it was a great time. Until uh, one evening we drove past. A, we were driving down a swipe oh, park. Yes. We were driving down a road. <laughs> and um, there was this, like... I can't describe it. Like for us, it looked like a severed human head. It was a um, head, Sakura. And we were petrified. We had to pull over. And we, like, we looked at each other and went, right, we have to go back and we have to look. We have to check to see what that was. Man, what was it when we drove back that we realized we'd seen? It was a Sainsbury's carrier bag, Sakura. Blowing in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> it looked so real. We were terrified, like actually terrified, but it's just a Sainsbury's bag, so yeah. I think that's where all my mental health issues stem from, it's just that carrier bag. And now when you see Sainsbury's carrier bags, you're just terrified, you just can't I am, I can't can't shop at Sainsbury's because I walk in and cry and run off. And that is why mums go to Iceland. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag ad. Yeah, so get back into it. So I then went back to uni, obviously, in September. I was spending quite a lot of time looking for jobs and trying to get jobs to get more money behind me. I eventually, I did get one uh, as a on a zero hours contract in a gym, I think in November, um, from memory. And really good, really obviously enjoyed it, enjoyed the working out and everything, having the money. It was hard for me that first year because I was doing a lot of commuting in um, and there was a lot of sleepless nights um but that's this is really where my experience with mental health came to fruition mm-hmm. obviously i've mentioned it about sort of the trust and everything being broken but um i was the relationship i was in was quite a committed one so it was a very you want to spend it's one of those relationships where you want to spend all your time together really um which i was absolutely fine with and happy about but the problem that then arised was my mental health was declining from everything outside of it. Um, yeah. My friends had sort of pushed, I'd pushed my friends away to some extent. I'd isolated myself, but I also had like the, the back of my mind, I was still worrying, right? I've got X amount to get me through to this part of the year when I can go and get more money back home and then I need to keep going. Um, so when the job came, obviously I was really happy, but then having to make sure that I'm still keeping up my studies, still in this relationship and still pushing myself forward was a juggling act that I wouldn't say I was prepared for. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's quite a difficult thing to have to have all those three quite major things yeah, um, and keep them all together in, you know, that kind of short periods of time. Um, I can imagine yeah. it was, um, it was very difficult. Yeah, and I think that's really where 
I started to realize that I wasn't okay. Um, so I went to the doctor, got put on sertraline. Um, yeah, they put one. me on and then it kind of got to a point where the sertraline was working to some extent. And then it got to a point again where I couldn't feel anything. They put me up to the full maximum that they could. And I had no emotions. I would watch a horror film and be blank faced. So to try and feel something, I, um, I would cut myself. Um, it's not a healthy way of trying to feel something, but it's what I did. In my mental state, it was an instant response. Um, it was an instant, right, I'm not feeling anything. This will make me feel something. Go, do. So I did. And that's when I realized that it was not okay for me to do. This went on for a while, um, like three months, three, four months. Um, and I will always be forever in when Alex's debt for looking after me during that period. She obviously found out pretty early on, but she would anti-back my scar, like um, anti-back wipe my scars um, to make sure they didn't get infected. And uh, to this day, I don't have scars from that period of time at all. Um, I'll always be in a debt for it. And then, obviously, I need to address with the doctor that the, the meds that I am taking to try and help me weren't helping me. And yes, okay, an argument could be made anywhere on 200 milligrams. It's going to be bad, and it's going to be like you feel nothing. But it's not healthy it wasn't healthy for me so i spoke to the doctor and said i don't want to be on these anymore um i don't want to be on any uh good, goodbye basically um which you know you have every right to do it's not medically advised you know usually it'll be right let's try this this type of um so i was on ssris maybe that's not the right thing for me maybe i need to be on this but for me i didn't want to be on any because i wanted to be able to watch a film and have emotions to the film. Yeah. So I moved away from relying on that because I, like relying on um, like pills to get me through the day because I realized it's not for me. But I, around that time, I was really pushing myself at work to try and you know, prove, sort of prove myself and prove to myself that I was good and I could do it. So we did, and then the following year, I was I had learned how to do everything that I needed to do, sort of juggling wise. Um, went back home for the summer again, tempted in an office, worked my ass off, and really enjoyed my time in an office. And knew that was for me. That was what I wanted to do. Want to work in an office. So then I go back to uni, and I'm spending a year away from my girlfriend at the time. And it was a difficult year, obviously, for being away from her and stuff. But I thought, okay, I've got a little bit more time to myself. I can focus on more, a little bit more on myself. I tried to book in for counselling, except I was told, yeah, yeah, that's fine. You're on the waiting list. You're on the waiting list. You're on the waiting list. I sat down. I had a meeting with someone, and 
they basically, I, I told them everything and they basically said, right, okay, um, we're going to talk to the doctors because I think, you, I, I, in my opinion, you need to be on medication. I don't want to be on medication. So I, again, quickly walked away from that help because for me, it wasn't help. So then I'm working my ass off at work and I'm seeing my girlfriend like once a month. So I'm really enjoying that year. But then she got a job down in Southampton, uh, down near Southampton, sort of. So we were going to move in together. And I was going into my last year of uni. And this is where I think you got very worried about me. I don't know. Yes. So yeah, I was working on a Xerox contract. I'd just promoted, um, so I was manager as well. So I was getting a little bit more more money um, per hour um, when I was doing management shifts, that kind of thing. Yeah. Then, so obviously my girlfriend at the time was moved, moved down. We got a one-bed flat together. Um, it's like quite an old house, and it was just like the ground floor. It was quite a big flat. It was quite good. It was a really, really nice area. And I was just going to uni, going to work. But then it got difficult where our dissertation season came around. And dissertation season, I was working i'd get up i don't think i've told you the schedule um so it depends on where i was working depending on the the times but they're generally the same ish um the most extreme one was i would wake up at half five and i would go into work for quarter to seven um start work then and then leave at about two ish like grab some lunch go to a lecture uh be at a lecture for an hour then go back to work uh be working until half past 10 and then i would leave work immediately go to the library and i'd be in the library until about three and then repeat five days when necessary um i mean you don't need me to tell you that that's just just if i needed a better word to go that's obscene yeah no it was um and the worst, my, my ex blesser, like, she didn't really have me there. Like, she was obviously doing crazy hours as well for her work and stuff, but she'd see me a couple hours here and there. I think, we, yeah, like a couple hours, like maybe to have breakfast if it was a later start for me, or if I had time, um, meet her for lunch or go back home for lunch or something. But I'd always, like, if I was working a week, I'd try and have time for the weekend so I could actually spend time with her but sometimes it didn't always happen because I would get offered like management shifts so it'd be a lot of money so I'd do it one month I clocked in um 144 hours on a zero hours contract 144 hours in a month yeah on a zero hours contract at uni doing my dissertation while at uni while at uni and, of course, my body broke. Naturally. I, I got shingles. Um, really bad shingles. Obviously, shingles, if, you don't, if you're not aware, it's, uh, it's dormant uh, chicken pox in, deep in your, in your like, um, muscles and nerves. And they come out in times of extreme stress. For me, 
obviously if, if an older person were to catch shingles because you can if you scratch off and you have like the like pus on your fingers or something and you touch someone then they could get shingles as well just like yeah standard if an old person catches shingles then there's a likelihood that they won't survive it yeah shingles so is quite quite violent isn't it i mean it's yeah. um it's... it's left me with nerve it's left me with them um, like nerve damage type thing i can't mm. remember what the doctors called it but it's something along those lines yeah um so now if i stretch the wrong way i'm recalling pain or if i get hit on my ribs where i had it um again i i'm i'm in pain so yeah shingles was an event that was difficult but also at that time my health was declining so all of this is a lot of external stressors that affected my mental health so badly because i just couldn't keep up with everything and i was stressed out and my body broke my body just said i can't do this anymore and my mind as well was just like this is too much then i left uni got a job obviously um and mental health picked up a bit moved into a house got a dog you know again like it was all, all good um until the covid chronicles started um ah the covid chronicles yeah the covid chronicles not the novel that anyone really wants to read no it's a, it's a novel that no one asked for but everyone was forced upon mm. um i've been working at a job for a few years sort of throughout covid as well which i again wasn't being supported really i felt that i was if i made a mistake it was thrown out in front of the public and i was pulled out in front of the public audience and told that i'm, I'm bad at my job i was put under extra stress i was manipulated into doing other people's work on top of my own um and been made to feel like i couldn't speak about it um so i'm i'm again from the trust issues that had already previously been developed and me asking for help and not getting it i suffered and I suffered in, in relative silence. Then we move on to June of 2020. Um, and my mum tells me that Nana out in New Zealand is, uh, was unwell. And unfortunately, she didn't, um, she didn't recover. So, um, yeah, my mum called me one day and said that, much like you had, Matt, um, called me and said that her mum had, had died. Yes. It hit me hard. It hit me really, really hard. Obviously, with her being in New Zealand, we couldn't really talk much. Um, but she's got songs on Spotify. Like Her songs were released on Spotify um, from like when she was a singer, uh, back way, way, way back when. Um, they helped me get through it and helped me try and grieve as much as I could. Uh, again, like with you, I, I wouldn't say that it's something that I've particularly got over. Um, it's just difficult. It's difficult. I don't think if I just could just yeah, say something, I, I, things like that with deaths, especially sudden death. Yeah. Um, I don't think you ever get over it. I think it just gets easier with time. Yeah, um, I think it's good to have things to remember and remember the good times on, but 
if you dwell on the absence in life, you miss what's actually in front of you, I feel. Um, yeah. No, no, I agree. Okay, so then we move forward to August. Um, me and my ex, we tried to break up, um, but then said basically we'll realign and give it a good go and see what we can do obviously um, by october that was just it for us we it just wasn't something that we could pull back from being the um friends that share a bed kind of feeling yeah then she went home for a while to spend time with her family obviously we agreed to we agreed certain things like we'll look for a place to live in the new year. We'll live together until then, blah, blah, blah. I changed jobs in the end of November, which helped me massively. Um, it really helped my mental health to be in an environment that I'm, I'm supported. It's just, I feel like the broken party because I'm asking for permission for stupid things. For example, um, I, if I want to take holiday at my old job, um, I'd be told, yeah, that's at least two weeks in advance. You have to let us know. And then it's up to my discretion, basically. And I had holiday rejected. I had a lot of holiday rejected. Um, um, and then with, with this place that I just let me know, like, if you could give me a few days in advance so I can make sure that I can get everything covered on the road, sir, that'd be great. It's just a completely different feel to what I've experienced had previously you feel more valued yes an employee not not just as an employee but as a person yeah as a person unfortunately everything else around that period did kind of start to decline outside of work so for me it was difficult to live in the same house as someone that i'd loved for so many years she came down, she came back down in the November, said that she was dating, which was, you know, on dating apps and stuff, which I felt wasn't, was too soon. Um, but I ended up following suit to try and just talk to people and, and make a connection, make a spark, which I made a connection with a couple of people. But ultimately, I wasn't in a mental state to be able to commit fully. Um, so uh, I. I'm going to try and get through this a bit quick. Um, so living with my ex was, was a difficult time just because our house was very small and knowing that we were talking to different people romantically or dating, if you like, but not really dating kind of thing. It was very difficult to kind of keep a dynamic in the house that didn't turn to be like negative, I guess. Obviously we had a dog and stuff, so we had to kind of be relatively civil she went up to see her parents and yeah she met a guy got into a relationship and then came back down um but during that period of time i was struggling mentally because i've been told that my grandma in the uk was also um sick so i went up to Bedfordshire for christmas um to spend time with my family um i was just, I was in a single household so I went up there and worked from home from there for a period of time and then spent Christmas with them and then got told on Christmas Eve by, by text that um, 
my ex had found a place to live and had put a deposit down and was leaving and I had a month to find somewhere to live. So at this point in time, just to recap, I'm being told that in a month's time I'm homeless. Um, I have just got over being in a, an environment, working environment that wasn't good. Um, and my grandma is ill. New Year's Eve, I come back to Southampton and I go to spend time with two of my friends um, at their house. On the way there, my dad calls me and tells me that my, my grandma didn't make it and that she passed. And for me, it was difficult because it was someone that I spent my childhood with in like seeing all the time and that kind of thing. So it hit me in a different way than when my mum's mum died. But it just added, it was just another thing added to my mental state. So then obviously I went to my friend's house, spent the new year with them. Uh, then was told that my, my ex went to just come down on New Year's Day. So I just went back in the New Year's morning. I sort of tidied the house up and stuff. Uh, then she said she wasn't coming down, which I find I don't ever want to. Um, but then she told me that she had got into a relationship. Um, I told her that in mid-January, I'm going to have a funeral to watch live stream because of COVID. At that point, the communication between us broke. She said to me, obviously after the break, I want to be friends, I want to be friends, I want to be friends, which is absolutely fine. I, I want that as well. I wanted that at that time. Um, but I was alone. I experienced such a range of internal pain of from my grandma, from feeling broken, from the trials of the whole previous year, then the breakup, and then everything else that's happened after the breakup. I was in so much pain internally that in my head, the only logical thing would be to make it external as well. So I harmed myself a lot. Um, I would cut myself to externalize my pain, which again isn't healthy, but I did it. Then my ex came down. Um, she'd also become ill, so she couldn't walk. So her boyfriend drove her down and her boyfriend like she invited him in, invited him to stay for dinner. I couldn't cope with that dynamic, so I cooked them dinner and then retired upstairs to kind of get away. Obviously, it's difficult. And the family environment that you've created with someone to then see them with someone else coupled up, it's not easy. But I have nothing against either of them to this day and I cook from a meal and I honestly wish them nothing but happiness and I can say that wholeheartedly. However, it doesn't make it easy for me in that period of time, at that point in time, to cope. So they started to have phone calls, or as you would in a relationship that's long distance, you need to have phone calls to kind of keep the relationship going. But for me, the only way that I would be able to get away from that is to go into the kitchen. 
And because they had phone calls when I would need to go to like bed for work, uh, I went and basically slept on my kitchen floor where I would not hear them at all. But I would feel the pain still. So I would self-harm. At that period of time, I also experienced my first suicidal thoughts and I didn't want to be in pain anymore. I couldn't cope with it. I couldn't cope with the loss. I couldn't cope with anything. So my first thought was difficult to address internally, but I knew that the feeling was there. Um, I also forgot to mention I had my grandmother's funeral and I watched it by myself on my floor in my front room, um, which was hard in itself because I couldn't be there. I wanted to be there. But yeah, so then that coupled in the regret of not being able to finally say goodbye made me not want to live anymore. And the amount of pain I was in, I can't describe to anyone. But every second, every day of every hour, I hated myself. I hated myself for getting me into, get myself into positions, um, trusting people too much and not being selfish. Um, but anyway, I didn't, obviously, I had never attempted to take my life. Um, luckily enough for me, the reason why I've not attempted is because I look at my friends and I think, is my short-term pain relief is the value of that greater than the long-term pain that they would feel and of course absolutely not i mean i sent matt away for this part because he's not uh, you had you had the trigger warning in the beginning matt was obviously at the forefront of my mind I didn't want to news of his one of his best friends passing away after taking their own life would have been too much for him. Glenn as well, it wouldn't have been great for him, my family. So I decided that the best course of action would be to stay alive, deal with my pain. It's my pain, my problem. But the self-harm continued. One day I decided that I wanted to walk uh, to my friends again, the one I spent the year with. Um, and on my way there, there was a group of five girls walking towards me. Obviously, it's, it was like in a gap between two lampposts. So it was quite not dark, but it was darker than obviously it would anywhere else um so i stood to one side in a bit of light put my hands behind my back to show my mom threatening and they can go past um as they approach it's like to catcall which i was like a bit weird but i'll still stay here maybe it's a defense mechanism we'll see um then as they walk past uh i feel a hand reach towards my groin and make contact and and um and grab me i 
froze. I didn't know what to do. Um, and the girls just walked off laughing, giggling. Um, I didn't know what to do. So I just continued walking. I felt numb. I felt emotionless. And I felt like I couldn't cope um, with everything else on top of it. I, I just I had to be around people. I couldn't be alone. Thinking alone with my thoughts. I had to be around people. So I did. I went to my friends. I stayed. Did the, 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 I stayed there for the night. Um, then when I went back to mine. Literally went to bed. The next day I woke up and I still felt numb. Still felt nothing. Um, and I couldn't even say anything to the woman that was sharing a house with me. But yeah, I then moved out of Southampton. Went back to my parents. I couldn't find anywhere to live. And when I went back to my parents, I went back with 116 scars on my body, self-inflicted. I was in a lot of pain throughout that period. So then I go back home to my parents, uh, live there, um, and just try to recover, try to bring myself um, back on a level plateau after everything that had happened in Southampton. And I was struggling, so I decided to get therapy. Not um, the behavior therapy that Matt's um, on the wait list for, but just like your, you know, your book standard NHS therapy. Uh, and my I guess what? Was you put on a waiting list? I was put on a waiting list. Of course um, you were. So I was on the waiting list. I decided to kind of do more like research into like mental health and, and my own sort of state and what I was thinking and stuff. And um, eventually when I did have therapy, it was an hour a day, uh, an hour a week, sorry. Um, but I'd speak to, my, I'd say to my parents, oh, I'm just going upstairs for a phone call because I don't want them my parents don't really understand mental health as a whole, so I don't really want to talk to them about mental health because mm-hmm. they still have a kind of more archaic view on it than what we are more accepting of um, for our generation. Yeah. So I ended up um, getting therapy, uh, but I ended up quitting therapy after three weeks because when I was on the phone to my therapist, she would be, you know, when you're talking on WhatsApp and you've got your ringer on matter and you get a new message through and it has that sound. Yeah, 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 that kind of sound. I was hearing that constantly while I was on the phone to her. Other times I'd hear her doing her dishes. Other times I'd hear her, like... So just not actually not paying, attention. paying attention at all? Or, you know, not paying attention to me, but it was also what clarified that for me, that she wasn't paying attention, is I'd say something... And she was, why do you feel like that? I explain it. And she goes, oh, okay. Sorry, why, so why do you feel that way? It's like, you, you just asked me the same question twice. Can you at least try and pay attention to what we're actually doing here? Did you like, complain? No, because where would I go? Who would I tell? How would I do it? What outcome would it have? Decided well, I mean, point, I get your point, but I mean, that's disgraceful. It is bad. It is bad, isn't it? Um, so I had, obviously medication that didn't work it wasn't working for me i'd had two goes of therapy both didn't help 
it's just not for me. So now I'm sort of taking matters into my own hands and just sort of doing my own thing. But then I'm back to square one in that sense. So I spent a lot of time with obviously you and Glenn, um, just trying to cheer myself up. And we had some great times when I was back living with my parents, um, which we've spoken about on the podcast last week. But you guys and Ash included, and now Rubes, um, you all are the ones that have got me through that period. You, all of you, you, I can't put into words how much love I have for you all. Like you are the reason why I'm able to be as I am now and where I am now. And I'll always be indebted to all of you for that. For me, now my new focus is to get back to Southampton. I love my parents dearly, but I can't live with my mum and my dad and my brother under the same roof for a long period of time. It's just, I've, I can't slip back to not having independence. Yeah. Um, so when we move on, I get a flat down here. I start to feel lonely in my flat because I live by myself, um, which is a struggle. And then all my friends down here are all in relationships. So I don't have anyone to just like pop to the pub with or go for a meet-up for lunch or dinner or anything like that. Um, so I decided I'd start dating. That's gone badly, as covered. Uh, re-stalkers, etc. But one thing that, you know, has come out of the dating part is I don't like dating. I don't like it. I don't like the modern dating. I don't like any of it. But also there was a girl that I was talking to for a while. Um, we'd agreed to go out on like a first date kind of thing. And then the morning of the date, we sort of ended things because the vi- the the vibe we were giving each other was just off. It was just not what it was. And so we ended things. And then she took some of my social media before she um, blocked me and stuff. Oh, I remember this. Uh, she took to my social media and said um, very publicly, heapless curled my hair for a heartless man. And it stuck with me because after listening to all my experiences, am I heartless? Absolutely genuine, not. You know, genuine question. Um, but she equally... It was a mutual, this is the thing that still annoys me, is it's a mutual, it was a mutual thing. Um, and now, again, to be forced into a situation where I'm made out to be a bad guy when I've not done anything hurts. It just yeah. brought up all the previous feelings of that, and it just hurt. So then we fast forward to um, my birthday, 1026, and then obviously caught COVID got um, chronic fatigue, which is getting me down every day because I can't do everything that I could do before. And I need to cancel on people constantly if I do eventually have plans. Or even with you, Matt, if we've agreed to do something for the podcast or just play on GTA or whatever. Yeah. There are times I have to say I can't do it. I physically can't. I'm too tired. I'm in constant pain um, physically now and emotionally, but and I can't 
I can't get rid of it. There's not a, a minute in the day where I'm not in pain. Um, I downplay it as much as I can, obviously, but that gets to, that affects your mental health a lot because you're in so much pain and you're, you're trying to put on that brave face, like you've said, Matt, so so well. You do just have to put on that brave face sometimes around the people that you love to make them not feel worried about you. Yeah. So then we fast forward to yesterday, um, Friday the 8th of October. This is going to be difficult because it's still really, really fresh, but uh, we're going to dive in, Matt. We're going to dive in. Take your time, son. Take your time. So I went to a gig last night. Absolutely amazing. Um, the Lathams. I've got the number one album at the moment. Check them out. They're amazing. Hashtag ad. <laughs> um, but between the support act and the main act, I decided this is the perfect time to so, you know, you have, have a quick toilet break. So I go through sort of the crowd and it's been a constant night stream of people going one way and like, like what are you doing big crowds? I saw a flash of an arm and then someone reached down uh, to my groin and get a handful and squeeze. Um, I immediately turned around to see who was there and I can't see anything. It's obviously it's dark. It's not, I just can't see anything. It was too inconspicuous for anyone to have noticed. So I go into the, the bathroom and I go into a cubicle, I check myself to make sure that like, I'm, I'm actually in pain from this. So I check myself to make sure that nothing's wrong. And then I take a second before I open the door to sum up as much strength as I could to do what I've been doing for years and years and years. And that is pretend like nothing's wrong. Put on that face, put on that mask and get out and spend time with my friend and enjoy the gig. I, obviously, as you've heard, that's the hat trick of sexual assaults completed. But everyone often says to me, as a man, it is okay to speak up. Whether it's mental health or something that happens to you, speak up. And it's something I do believe in. However, in cases like mine, we are not treated seriously. I've been told by people oh, from obviously the, the initial incident, uh, the, so sexual assault number one, I was told people are, oh, that doesn't happen, that can't happen. Um, you sh- oh, yeah, but I bet you enjoyed it though. Oh, well done, you got laid. The second one, I didn't tell anyone because of that reaction and this one I told people immediately and these are direct quotes of what I was told and what people have said to me what the fuck did you punch them um thank god it's not me getting harassed tonight yeah I would love it if we could go seven days without this happening they're genuine responses from my friends people i value most in the world obviously i'm I'm not i don't blame them at all like this is a normal situation as society sees it um 
so like the responses are justified in their own ways for various reasons directed to the individual but my question that I want to plant is if I was a woman would they be the responses would me saying as I walk past a group of as I walk past people um as I was brushing through the crowd a hand reached out and reached down for my groin Would that would oh did you punch them? Would that have been the response I would have got if I was a woman? I personally don't think so. However, obviously Matt and um, my cousin that I told, um, they both checked on me, made sure I was okay. The truth is I'm numb to it, but I feel. A lot of pain from being told to speak up about problems and speak up about my mental health and speak up about the things I'm feeling. And then when I actually do it, it doesn't help. And I know I'm not the only man that feels that way. So, what I want to say to wrap this up is you have heard everything I've been through. You have heard every bit of baggage that I've accrued over the years. I'm still here. But genuinely and wholeheartedly, I can say, if you need help, get help, but get a second opinion. If you need help from your friends, reach out. If the response isn't good, call them out on it. If you take anything away from this podcast today speak up it doesn't matter what it is you need to speak up and talk to someone so that someone comes back to you yes okay in my situation i didn't get good responses what i did get was two people check up me when i needed it and i know that 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 if i tell more people they'll be there for me too But the important thing is, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, if you're experiencing the things that I've discussed today, you need to speak up. And my Instagram is obviously shown on the podcast Instagram, which is at Sam Antics. Message me if you don't get a good response from people or if you need someone and you don't feel comfortable going to your friends. I know people say this all the time, but I genuinely mean it. And wholeheartedly, my experiences are a lot. They, I've been through a lot. There's no denying it, but I'm okay. I'm still here. I'm happy. And like Matt mentioned, the podcast for me is equally as important of, to contributing to me having a positive mental mindset and escape. But everything that's happened to me has happened because of various reasons. But my reaction to everything has been internalized. and I've not sought help when I needed it. So don't make the mistakes I have and speak up and speak up.
now it's time to take the bridge of chat as we go to our segment, Storytime with Sam. Don't gather around, everyone. I've got a special one today. Um, I'm actually going to be reading out something that I have written. It's one of my sort of blog pieces type thing that I've written about mental health. It's never been published or I think I've sent it to like a couple of people. But yeah, it's my own writing, so go easy on me. Matt, are you Don't ready? Write in. Don't write in and say, Sam's story was awful this week. We want well, that we, we was it. fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Will, calm down. <laughs> so go right in your own time. The thing about mental health is that you do not know what's around the corner. One day, you might wake up and be the happiest, go-lucky person, but come the afternoon, you are struggling to even go out and see your best friend. Add in the additional stresses in life, and how can you be expected to be able to face the world and be the person society wants you to be? Life is hard. Correction. Being alive is hard. Unfortunately, some people in this world face the worst things imaginable. And there are some people who may rarely face these trials. However, the people who go through the hard times are comparing themselves to the people that haven't faced the same troubles or faced comparable issues. Why is that? The trials of living with a negative mental health is that you can't help but hold yourself to the same standard as the people in a good place. And you think, why am I not where they are in life? Why can't I be as happy as they are? What's wrong with me? It's easier said than done to stop thinking like this because society as a whole looks down on those with a negative mental mindset and promotes and rewards the people in the good places. Case in point is that on our social media platforms, we all like to follow the accounts that have a positive stimulus. What I mean by this is the influencers that go on extravagant holidays, eating out in fancy restaurants, or we follow some hashtags that show us beaches and allows a window into a location that we may never visit. Brands are eager to sponsor those influencers, but by comparison, the accounts that say, my mental health is not the best. Today, I woke up sad, are much harder to find. We are all guilty of using our social media as an escape to see a positive feed and escape our own problems in life. Therein lies the problem. We are using these platforms as a way to get positive influence. But that is where we end up comparing ourselves to people on our screens, comparing ourselves to that personal trainer and saying we are not at that tone, comparing ourselves to that couple who've just bought a house, the couple that have had a baby, or even the couple that are going on a date together, saying, why am I not in that position? It's important to remember that we're all living our lives one day at a time. But we need to remember that just because that couple that got together in school, married by mid-twenties, and has a house and a baby by 30, are simply on a different timeline in their lives to what you are. You are not being left behind or anything like that. You're just working to a different timeline. No two people are the same. No two lives are the same. So why do you expect them to be? They might be at a point in life that you want to be at. There is no way for you to know that in a year, two years, or five years, that this is where you will be. You can't control that. There are people that say, They want to be married by a certain age, but that is not in your control. You could have been in a long-term relationship with someone 
thinking that this is for life, but be engaged with someone else five years later. You can only shape your future, not control it. So stop comparing yourselves to the people that are in a different place to you saying, why am I not there in life? And make changes and build the foundations in your own life so you can be there one day. Being alive is hard and comparing yourself to what you see on your screen makes it even harder. It's not an easy task to stop comparing, but it is a vital change to help move yourself forward in life in a positive way and make living that much easier. Wow. Can I just say, Yeah. I've obviously not heard that before. That was so well written and rings so true. That, Thank you. That I'm speechless, to be, <laughs> to be honest. It's something that, for me, so just to give you sort of background on where I was when I wrote this, I had had a rough day at work and I just, it was before I got COVID. Um, I had a rough day at work and I just need to like go to bed and I was just not happy. And then I, an idea started and I just got out my MacBook and just started typing. And then like not even an hour later, that is what I had written. I think it's because like when I on my so so on my Instagram I I do follow those accounts the the beach accounts or the like hidden gems or like getaways or place like sunsets like places that I'm never going to see in life and I'm mm-hmm. almost jealous of the people that are there because they get to experience them yeah and why am I bringing myself down looking at them when no, I'm just not no two there. people, no two people in this world are the same. Um, yeah. And you know, like I, I, we love them dearly, but Ash and Glenn, like they have got it sorted, really. If you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, they met at an early age. They're moving in the right direction in life. They've got a place together. They're engaged. They've got a kid. I just need to get a granny flat for me now and then we'll be fine. A granny annex. <laughs> but, you know, there are times where I know that both yourself and me, we do look to them and think, that's what I want. But, you know, we're not, like I said, now we're it's not on the same timeline as them. It's almost Our jealousy. It's not jealousy in the fact that we're jealous of them. Yeah. It's the jealous of having what they have as in you know having everything together yeah um and and having an actual family unit developed that is a strong family unit and having a place together that is you know i think they own part of it and stuff so you know but we we forget that they've been together for a very very long time and, you know, they have moved at a different pace and a different rate and a different um, tra- trajectory compared to what, say, you and I have. But it's not to say yeah. that we won't have that one day. And it's just drawing back no. that focus to remember that their trajectory is different to yours, but you will get there. Absolutely. So cool. um, that was, as I said, that was really well written um it took me aback actually listening to that because 
I could kind of, I could visualize you writing that. Because I, I know when you've yeah. had shit days at work um, and when you're not feeling yourself. And so I can visualize you writing that. But as I said, everything you said in that rings 100% true with me. And I'm sure it does a lot of people. So I know it doesn't mean anything necessarily, but thank you for writing that. And especially thank you for sharing that with us and especially me, because that was, that was really good. Really good. Thank you. I really appreciate your feedback. Um, I just hope that, you know, this does, someone listening to this does also feel the same way and, and can find relevance in this to help them as well. Um, so, yeah, I just, that's what I hope from my writing, really.